Thanks for listening to the Pro Video Podcast. Weekly insights into everything video. Here's the host, Blair Walker. Hi everyone and welcome to Pro Video Podcast. On the show tonight, we're going to be talking about education, freelancing, designing your life to what, the way you want to live it. We've got Joey Carman from the School of Motion. He's blasted onto the scene internationally. He's basically become the go-to for learning After Effects, not just the skills of pushing the buttons, but about really knowing what you're doing with your motion design. You name it, he's doing it. School of Motion is disrupting education. So thank you so much, Joey, for coming on the show today. Man, thank you for that intro. You got me all fired up. I'm like blushing too. I, no one can see it, but and I shaved my head, so like the whole thing is blushing. That was very nice of you, though. Thank you. No, it's, it seems like um, just out of nowhere, there was 30 days of After Effects. And everyone's like, what the... <laughs> this is all free. <laughs> this is amazing. And, and it really just sort of shook up the whole industry. And the, that was just an eye-opener to somebody sharing their knowledge in a, such a different way. And then to see the School of Motion develop from there and the courses, the boot camps, um, I think have just totally disrupted education and how you can gain real skills. Well, thank you, yeah. What was the motivation from pivoting to, from being a motion designer to being an educator? All right. Well, this might be a long story, Blair, so stop me in the middle if, uh, <laughs> if you want to like, uh, you know, pick at something. Um, so as you mentioned, you said the 30 days of After Effects that kind of blasted onto the scene out of nowhere. I know that that's what it appeared like from the outside, but of course with any – I guess you could call it a success story. With any success story, there's always like the years and years of toil ahead of time that no one has ever heard of you. And then all of a sudden you're an overnight success, right? That's kind of how it works. So um, so I, I had a about 12 or 13 year career as a motion designer before starting School of Motion um, or really before focusing on School of Motion because there was some overlap there. And the, the short version is I, I freelanced for many years as an After Effects artist. Um, that's where I learned most of the skills that I, that I teach today. Uh, and then I spent four years running a studio that I helped start in Boston, Massachusetts. I had two business partners, and it was a motion design studio called Toil. If you go to toilboston.com, you can still see the work. It's still there. There is kind of still a formation of Toil, even though I'm not a part of it anymore. And... Um, Basically, I got to a point where I had on paper achieved all my professional goals. You know, a lot of After Effects artists kind of discover motion design or motion graphics, whatever you want to call it, and they have this goal of opening their own studio one day. It's kind of like the top of the mountain. And uh, so I achieved that. I I actually was the creative director of Toil. I was the lead animator. I hired um, some really talented people. We built a small team. We were doing national work. Uh, you know, my parents would turn on the TV and see a commercial I did, and they'd call me, oh, I just saw your commercial. Um, I have Jewish parents, so that's why I did that that accent. So anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> so so I had made it, and I was making great money, and we had a cool office. We had a roof deck, like, right overlooking the city of Boston. Yet, I would wake up every day, and I would have to drag my ass out of bed, really kind of miserable, um, not looking forward to going into work. 
And, you know, it took months and months and, and, and you know, being on antidepressants. And it was weird because up until that point in my career, I had never felt that way. Every single day I had felt luckier than anyone on the planet to be doing what I was doing and making a living doing it. And then slowly that started to change. And I think what happened to me was I actually wrote about this. There's an article on motionography you can go find. It's called Too Old for MoGraph. And I wrote about this experience where I, I set this goal of running a studio when I was, you know, probably 22 years old. And all of a sudden, I'm 32 years old and I'm running that studio. But I also am now married. I have two daughters, you know, that I care deeply about. Um, I have a house, but since I live in Massachusetts, uh, it's, it's one of the more expensive places in the United States to live. Um, our house was about an hour from the office. So I was commuting on a train. Um, I, you know, Massachusetts is a very cold, gray, dreary place about six months of the year. I'm originally from Texas, so that just never really vibed with me. And all of a sudden, having a commute and having kids I wasn't seeing, it all just kind of came to a head. And I realized this doesn't fit me anymore. There was also things about what I was doing that was kind of getting on my nerves. Um, one of the stories I wrote about in, in this Motionographer article was uh, just the reality of working with ad agency clients and the reality of having you know, a business with high overhead and a staff and things like that. You have to do things that you would never do um, in other situations. And there was this one day where we got a call uh, the Friday before Easter, um, it was Easter weekend, and this client called, and it was not for a cool brand. It was not for a lot of money, but it was a client that had given us a lot of work and said, hey, we need you guys to work the weekend to put this thing together for an internal video. The CEO wants to see it on Monday, something like that. You know, everyone listening can probably relate to a story like that. Yeah. And I went to my business partners, and I said, we are going to tell them no. We're not. I'm not going to have our guys working on Easter. There's just no way. Turn them down. We don't need the money. Tell them to find someone else to do it. And my business partner said, no, you don't understand. We can't do that if we tell them no. And it had a lot to do with the way our business was structured, the way the ad agency culture is. And I realized at that moment that this was a world that just didn't seem to jive with me anymore. And and I had I had grown out of the part that you there's this part of your career where you do get to put your head down and focus on your craft. And if you go too high, all of a sudden you have to start taking conference calls and pitching and doing other things. And that's where I was. And so anyway, uh, to make a long story short, uh, my wife and I sat down one night and we were like, this life we have that on paper looks great is making us both crazy and we're not happy. Um, and, you know, what is the ideal life that we would like. We did this exercise called the perfect day exercise. Uh, and essentially the way it works is you project forward like 10 years and you say, okay, it's 10 years from now and it's Tuesday and it's not a special day. It's just Tuesday. And you describe in as much detail as, as you can come up with what that day looks like. So, you know, what time are you waking up and who's in bed with you? And you look out the window and what's the weather like? And what are you looking at? Do you see mountains? Do you see the ocean? Where are you? Are you in a city? Uh, what time do you have to be at work? Where are you going to work? How much money is in your bank account? What are you having for breakfast? How many kids do you have? All of those things. And essentially, you build out this narrative in your head of, of that perfect day. And then you look at where you are in the direction you're pointed and you say, am I going to end up there? And instantly becomes very clear if you're 
if you're on the right track. Yeah. And, and for us, it was like not even close, <laughs> you know? Um, and, and it was, and it's, and it's funny because when I talk about this perfect day exercise, it sounds so obvious. Yeah, yeah of course. Like, you know, you're not going to get there, but, but most people put their head down and they just keep marching forward in these jobs and these careers that maybe don't fit them, but they never take two seconds to stop and pick their head up and look around. Yeah. And so you end up, I have so many friends like this, Blair, like you, you end up getting promoted and getting raises and rising up the food chain. To, and, and by the time you end up about to lose your mind, you have golden handcuffs on. All right. And, um, you know, and that was actually a problem for me, too. I mean, I was I was making really great money and I had kids in a house. So anyway, we decided what we really wanted was to live somewhere really warm and somewhere where the cost of living is cheaper. Uh, I wanted to do something that was less soul sucking. I didn't want to be selling, you know, Subway sandwiches anymore. I didn't want to be selling car insurance, you know, um, and I wanted something where, you know, eventually I could have a lot more time off and, and I could scale. I could scale myself. And we kind of, you know, wrote it, wrote this scenario out and we figured out, okay, well, you need, we need to move. Um, you know, that your current job is never going to fulfill those needs. So you need to figure out a different way to make a living. Um, and we slowly but surely came to the realization we need, I needed to leave toil. We sold our house. We said goodbye to, to our friends, our family, everybody in Massachusetts, uh, and moved to Florida. And it, it's interesting. I, um, I, when we decided, we settled on Florida because it's warm, it's cheap. We visited it. We loved it, fell in love. And, and I looked on Motionographer to see if there were any jobs in Florida because I, I thought to myself, I have no idea how I'm going to make money. Um, so hopefully there's like a motion design studio in Florida I can like go work at for a little bit till we figure that out. And I looked and the only job I found was a teaching position at the Ringling College of Art and Design in Sarasota, Florida. So I applied for that. Um, I had about four months of School of Motion under my belt. I had actually started it right before we decided to move to Florida. And um, so I had some tutorials I'd made and I sent those to Ringling saying, well, I've never taught before. But I made a couple of tutorials. Check them out, Sounds and I'm pretty so sure serendipitous that, that yeah, I, it, it it, I mean, yeah, it um, it's funny because at the time it was just it felt like such a large, and in hindsight, yeah, it's kind of nice. It kind of feels like oh, the stars aligned and all these things happened. At the time, it was just it was basically like that was a lifeboat. Yeah. Okay, we can move to Florida, and I and and they hired me. Um, and the man, I mean, it was like I've talked about this before on on other podcasts. Like the the that gig was amazing. Teaching at Ringling was one of the most fun years of my life. I took a huge pay cut. I took, um, I think I figured it was, I figured it out once and it was like 72% pay cut or something wow. like that. Imagine your salary cut by two thirds. And yeah, and, and we, you know, we downsized a lot. We moved from a house to an apartment. We got rid of one of our cars. Um, we canceled our cable. We cut the court. We canceled everything we didn't need. And we basically cut our monthly nut by like 75%. And in doing that, realized, wow, this is so much better. Um, we didn't realize how deep into the rat race we'd fallen, you know, and, and getting on that treadmill, it's really easy as you start to make more money to spend more money. And we were certainly doing that. And so by just basically ripping this Band-Aid off, moving to Florida, taking a pay cut, getting rid of all unnecessary expenses, we were basically able to start over. 
And so I spent a year teaching at Ringling and slowly building School of Motion up, like, in my spare time. And it was at the end of my first year of Ringling that I decided, you know, teaching at a big college in a big bureaucracy like this doesn't fit with me either. And I started to recognize the signs that it happened at Toil, except I recognized them instantly. I'm like, okay, I'm starting to feel that feeling that's telling me if I stay here, I'll be really unhappy in three or four years. Yeah. So I left. Um, and that summer, I was still getting paid by Ringling. That's how teachers get paid. You get paid for the whole year, but you only teach for nine months. So that summer, I was getting a paycheck, but I, ha- I didn't have to show up for work. So I said, well... Why don't I see if School of Motion can turn into my full-time gig? And that's where the 30 days of After Effects came from. And for anyone listening who doesn't know what the 30 days of After Effects are, I, I basically decided in an attempt to get people to, to you know, become aware of School of Motion and to get some attention, I was going to try something crazy. I was going to try to put out a tutorial every single weekday, Monday through Friday, for six weeks. So it would be 30 tutorials. And... I didn't think it was going to be as big of a deal as it turned out to be. I, and and I get a lot of, I mean, even to this day, people discover those, and that's how they get kind of hooked on School of Motion. Um, and I didn't have any bigger thought than that. I just wanted to get some attention so there, there would be a little bit of an audience I could talk to. And I wanted to make tutorials that I'd always wished someone had made. And, and I, lo- I love teaching. I really do. Um, and so that's what I did. I basically locked myself in, in a room all summer. And I made tutorials, and at the end of it, there was basically this little nugget that, that, you know, this little seed had been planted that over the last, I guess, three years has kind of blossomed into what School of Motion is now. That's such an amazing story. It's really, really epic. And anyone who hasn't checked out those, it's, it's a, such a great way to dive into After Effects, which comes with a Creative Cloud account. Because Joey's been a little bit humble. These aren't just one tutorial. These are jam-packed. Like, each episode covers multiple ways of doing something in some ways, but it's they're really solid, every single one of them. So, it's a, it's my um, nephew's actually finishing high school, and he wanting to come into this industry and nice. looking at what the, what the brick-and-mortar schools are offering... My thing is, okay, as soon as your exams are finished, and Liam, if you're listening, we're going to have this chat again. <laughs> nice. Do the, do the 30 days of After Effects and then sign up for the boot camps because they are going to deep dive you into some serious knowledge way faster than you're going to get at um, a university or a polytech or any education facility. And you can do it in your own time. And you can not put yourself into deep debt. You can still work and work it around that. And that's a much smarter way in the modern world. It doesn't have to be, yeah, I got into a university, so now I can rack up $40,000 to get a three-year education, which I could jam-pack into a year, not have debt. That's what I feel like the School of Motion is offering anybody in the world if you've got the time and energy to put into it. So Blair, it's interesting. So you just threw out a number, $40,000 for a three-year education. I can tell you in the United States, it's four or five times that. Damn. Um, yeah. So, so this is one of the things, and, and, and um, I'll, I'll, try to, I'll try to be a little careful when I talk about this because I, you know, I, have, I have dear, dear friends who teach at you know, art schools in the United States. My, my colleagues at Ringling, my old boss at Ringling, I mean, I love them as people. I love the school. The education's amazing. But Ringling, 
<clears throat> excuse me, the motion design program there costs, I want to say just tuition is like $160,000, And then a room and board and everything. I mean, the, the year I taught there, um, one of the seniors that I was teaching, this, this great kid had $200,000 in debt coming out of that school. And the reality is that, you know, I, I don't know how it is in New Zealand or, or other countries, but in the United States, you're asked to sign up for that much debt when you're 17, 18 years old, you have no idea what that means. You don't understand the anchor that that puts on you for the rest of your life. Yeah. And, you know, so so when I started School of Motion, I didn't have this lofty ambition of, you know, I think that's wrong and I want to provide an alternative. But as soon as we started running classes and, and I realized that because the internet is a scalable universe you know uh we can i mean we've built technology now we have our own software running these classes now we've built systems and we've refined things over the years and essentially now we can teach a really high quality animation class with technique uh you know like technique and theory and critiques and interviews with artists and you know we can run 200 students through it at a time, or we could run 500 students through it at a time. And every student's going to get the same level, very high level of training. And that class, I'm talking about animation boot camp. that class is $900. Yeah. So, right. There's a lot of things. So here, here's one of the things that, that I love talking about. I love, I love looking at assumptions that institutions and companies make and just questioning them and saying, well, that's the way it's always been done. But is that really the way it needs to be done? The idea that it takes four years to learn to be a motion designer, or I mean, frankly, it takes four years to, to learn everything, right? When you go to college, how long do you go for? You go for four years. Why is it four years, right? Why does it take four years to, to go in to, to Ringling and come out the other end finally capable of becoming a professional motion designer. Why doesn't it take six months? What is it you need to learn before being employable? Because we all know when you get into the workforce, that's when you really start learning. You know, you can learn a lot in school, but the second you get hired, six months later, you're a different artist, right? Uh, So, you know, our courses are very fast. They're very accelerated. And we have, you know, I'll use another one. Design Boot Camp. Um, Design Boot Camp is a nine-week course. Uh, It takes basically 12 weeks to get through the whole cycle of it, right? So 12 weeks, talking about three months. And we've had many, many students come to us after they take that course and say, I learned more in that class than I learned in four years at university. And it's because we're not trying to fill four years of time with stuff. That's That's kind of a... It's kind of a gross way of putting it, but sometimes when you're when you're teaching, I mean, I remember I, I taught an animation class at Ringling, and I, I'd, I'd like to think it was a good one, um, but I had to come up with I think thirty classes worth of material, right? And really, sometimes you only need ten classes. You only, you know, and so, and so you're kind of stretching and trying to figure out. Okay, well. I guess for this class, we could show this. Th- and, 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 you know, some things you want to spend a month on and some things you want to spend two seconds on. Yeah. And, and so when you have this, like, kind of legacy format, which is what colleges are, it's a legacy format. Show up, sit in a room, we'll have this teacher repeat the same lesson 
every year for 15 years, the exact same words. It's very inefficient. And all of a sudden, you know, you have all these online schools coming along and saying, well, what if we just said, okay, what, what's, let's apply the 80-20 rule. What do you need to know to be a good animator in After Effects? You need to know these eight things. Okay, cool. Let, then let's make eight lessons and let's make them each an hour and a half jam-packed and they're video, which means you can play it at double speed if you're you know if you don't have a lot of time or you can watch them 10 times to really grasp it which is not possible in a lecture situation at school um and all of a sudden um you know and the technology allows us to teach way more than one classroom full of students and so um you know you use the word disrupt and now that really is our goal at school of motion we we want to disrupt you know we're starting with motion design. We want to disrupt motion design education, but you know, if I if I had like a thirty year plan, I'd want to disrupt all that education. I think there's a lot of things that you literally do not need to sit in a room and have a human being tell you. I think you can learn them more efficiently using technology, and I think you can use human beings for the things human beings are good at. Yeah. Um, the only the only thing that you know, like we have teaching assistants that critique your work, that handle things like technical support and motivating students and things like that. That's what people are good at. But when it comes to regurgitating the same lesson over and over again, some people are good at that. Some people are not good at that. But you need a lot more people to do that, right? Yeah, so many good points. Um, I think that I've, I've I'm in. I have a relationship with a number of um, tertiary institutions in New Zealand, looking at the curriculum, looking at the structure, looking at what they're teaching. And I think that universities especially are just hamstrung by corporate um, and government requirements. They have to tick boxes, and those boxes aren't designed just for motion or any even even creative. It's, it's about um, making sure that they're covering education needs and some of those just don't apply or those boxes are just way too big for what it should be. So I can see that being able to focus without worrying about the government criteria, what, what I see from the School of Motion is getting really great content that's been curated and it's been refined and it is solid rather than having a teacher who might be a little sick or a little bit off that day coming in and just not having the same energy and removing those kinds of things like the content is video and it's solid and another thing that I've heard people say as well it's about the connections you make and I'm, right. I'm thinking well the connections you're going to make in school of motion you're making connections with um, teachers who are at the top of the game Everywhere, but you're also making connections with people who are in other countries who are going to open your because you're in that kind of class environment with shared groups. I've heard that there's a um, variety of different ways you can connect with people like you would in a classroom. It's just, it's, it's how most of us are working today. It's we're on our own in a room chatting with people constantly, and it's not just face to face, it's through a Facebook group or a Slack group or something like that. So have how have you found that um, the students are are, st- are connecting together <laughs> and that they are talking and sharing and building those relationships with other people in their classes as they're going through? I have a cool story for you. Okay, so when when someone takes a school of motion uh, class and and we have some classes that are sort of more traditional online class, you buy it. You get, you know, a ton of content, videos and things like that. You watch it. Um, we On every class that we sell at, we actually offer 
um, you know, Q&A supports. If you have a question about it, we'll answer it. But for our big classes, Animation Bootcamp, Design Bootcamp, Character Animation Bootcamp, we're building a bunch of other ones, After Effects Kickstart. Um, there is a private Facebook group for every session of the class. So, for example, Animation Bootcamp right now, uh, summer 2017 session has uh, 196 students in it. All of them, they're from all over the world and a different ranges of talent, skill sets, you know, backgrounds, everything. We put them all in a private Facebook group. And our, we have four teaching assistants and they're all communicating through Facebook right now. And we use Facebook because it's still the best platform for Everyone's this. Everyone's on there. Yeah, everyone's already <laughs> on there. And so what happens is, and, and we've learned how to make sure those Facebook groups are very engaged. Um, so the first thing that happens is you get on that group, you introduce yourself and all of a sudden, Hey, you're in New Zealand. I'm in New Zealand. Hey, and all of a sudden you have a connection. Um, you know, and then you, students post their work in that Facebook group too. So they, they upload it to our site and our teaching assistants can like draw on it. And we have our own version of, of Whipster basically on our site. Uh, but the students can upload it to Facebook too, and they critique each other and they kind of learn how to, you know, how to tell someone, ah, your thing's not very good without saying it that way. And they learn to develop that critical eye. And it feels a lot like summer camp. But And then once that class is over, everyone gets moved over into our alumni group. So we have an alumni Facebook group uh, with, I can't even remember, 1,600, 1,700 people in it. It's a lot of alumni. We, we have over 2,500 alumni now, um, and most of them are in that Facebook group. So that Facebook group is, you know, thousands of motion designers all over the world, people who are obsessed with motion design enough to take an online course and, uh, and a hard one at that. So recently we had, I can't remember how many, I think there was like eight or 10 or 12 alumni from all over the United States, all over the world. I think there's a couple in Europe too. Um, and they kind of spun off and formed their own little private Facebook group kind of as a, a way to motivate themselves to keep learning. And just, they kind of liked each other and they'd talk a lot on Facebook and then they realize that, hey, they all have different talents and they like working with each other. And a couple of them had tag teamed freelance projects. And so they decided to start this group and they call it Pancake Camp. Um, and anyone who went to the Blend Festival in Vancouver may have seen some like bright blue shirts with Pancake Camp on it. That's what it was. They literally formed a collective um, and you've got, you know, animators, people who know Cinema 4D, illustrators, good designers, editors, all in this group. And now they're sort of starting to branch out and get gigs and work together. And to me, that is like the epitome of what school motion should be. It should be a place for motion designers to come learn, get better, meet other motion designers, and then be able to go out into the world and use those skills and, and form companies. Um, you know, it, it blows my mind to think that this little blog <laughs> I started has now resulted in an actual group of, of artists getting together and forming this collective. Um, so yeah, so to answer your question, the students and the interactivity, that's honestly the most valuable part of the experience. That's such an awesome story. And I know from myself, um, when I left and I had really good friends from the course I was doing, but everyone spits out in different directions. Um, but to 
have the mentality of when you're finished that we can do this on our own. We can build something for ourselves. We can design our lifestyle, um, which is something that doesn't get taught at a normal school. Um, it's more about the the hard and soft skills rather than the lifestyle skills that go go with it. And right, right. from the start with School of Motion, it's designed that way. The expectation is that everyone is wherever they are in the world and you can get together and do this. So you're, you're actually setting people up in that mentality of a virtual company and a collective. And now you're going to be teaching them skills of how to go out there and cold call and set up their, their own businesses as freelancers or collectors through the freelance manifesto. So you're literally giving everyone the bullets and then you're handing them a machine gun <laughs> of how to go. <laughs> Happy hunting, right? <laughs> yeah. Happy client hunting. It's like, right. um, yeah, I read the manifesto over the weekend and it kind of blew my mind because I, I, oh, I, <laughs> I wish that I had that 15 years ago. But... To be honest, um, it wouldn't have been able to be possible 15 years ago because I think motion design wasn't around. So this right. book is really a timely one for what is possible now and going through in the future um, because I think that you're, you're writing about how you can make a career and a lifestyle for yourself through this manifesto. And you, you say that it's a Trojan horse, and it is, because yeah. the thing I think about it is the lifestyle that you're creating, not the way that you're going to cold call a client. Exactly, yeah. So, so for everyone listening, uh, we just released a book called The Freelance Manifesto. It's available on Amazon and Kindle paperback. And... Um, I when I wrote the book, I asked uh, Justin Cohn to uh, to check it out and to give me um, to give me a quote to to use. And the quote it's a longer quote, but the beginning he, of the quote is "The future is freelance." And I and Justin is one of the most like I would almost call him a futurist. Like he's really good at like kind of predicting what's coming down the pipe. And to me, I mean, even I don't know, probably ten or twelve years ago when I was still at the beginning of my freelance career, it was so obvious to me that this was the way work is going. Um, in the United States, it's different in every country, of course, but um, you know, in the United States, I mean, everything is, everything is moving so quickly that businesses pop up and then they're gone. They pop up and then they're gone. And, and so to think that, you know, especially for a motion design studio, that you can just like, go out and get some investors and hire eight really talented people and then you build this core team, it just doesn't work anymore. And that's just motion design. I mean, you know, never mind software development and in, in other industries. And so being a freelancer, to me, after the first six months, I realized I have more job security than my friends who are on staff. I feel much more in control of my career than someone who's even at a big legacy company you know, working for like a TV station or something, right? Um, you know, I, I've had I've had plenty of friends who you know get laid off and it like catches them totally by surprise, and they have no idea what to do. And so freelancing is kind of like um, vaccinating yourself, I guess. That you know, if you, if you learn to do it, it gives you this confidence that no matter what, no matter where you live, no matter where you are what clients are out there, you can go get work and pay your bills. And 
once you realize that, it's, uh, you know, the chains of society start to strip away a little bit. And you start to realize, you know, I don't, I don't know how it is in New Zealand Blur, but in the United States, it's very common when you get hired at a company to get two weeks paid vacation a year. And, you know, no one really questions, three, okay, so three in New Zealand, right? And no one really questions that, you know? I mean, people complain about it, but they don't question it. Like, yeah. why? That's, isn't it insane if you think about it? Like, we're this species of like, you know, basically smart monkeys walking around. And just because you're paying me for my time to help you build your company, you get to tell me I can only go on vacation two weeks a year. That is insane to me. Um, you know, I mean, the, the, it's, and it's interesting because, you know, you mentioned that at School Motion, we're kind of already set up to try and teach people these skills in a, in a way where they can apply them anywhere. And I think a lot of that comes from the place I was at when I started the company. I really, I built School of Motion to be a company I could run from anywhere. We don't really have a headquarters. Like I have an office, but it's just because I have three kids and I can't work from home with three <laughs> little kids. But our entire team is distributed. I'm in Florida. Our project manager is in Massachusetts. Our um, community manager is in Rhode Island. Our content manager is in Michigan and our new content producers in Texas. We have teaching assistants, one in New Zealand now, Ben, who, you know, uh, yeah. we've got, we've got a German, we've got a Canadian, we've got, you know, someone in San Francisco. I mean, that, that's how the company is set up. And, you know, if you work full time for school of motion, we don't give you two weeks vacation. We have a, it's called an open vacation policy. Take as much as you want. I don't care. Be an adult. Just get your work done. If you're going to be gone for a month, figure out how it doesn't screw us over. Cool. And I think a lot, you know, more and more companies are kind of realizing that, you know, it, things aren't the way they were 50 years ago. And, and people aren't content just showing up, working 40 hours a week, taking their two weeks paid vacation a year and getting a few sick days here and there. And, and then just punching that time card every day for 40 years. You know, people... People want more and there's so much more opportunity and the, the old way of doing business kind of was a blocker to that. So, um, you know, that's one, of the, that's one of the things I wanted to do with School Motion is kind of prove that a company can grow and be big and successful and organized and run well while still being lean and mean, you know? Yeah, um, just picking up on, um, you know, don't screw us over, just take what you want, you're an adult. It just makes me feel like, um, if you love something, set it free. You know, it's um, treating people like responsible adults, not micromanaging them. But by being work, uh, working from home, they can work the hours that they need. They've got X amount of work to do in a day or a week. Manage it around their lifestyle, and you're going to get so much more from them. Coming, you know, when you're fulfilled because you had the opportunity to have lunch with your wife for an hour yeah. and a half and then nail out the afternoon feeling really buzzed about that opportunity rather than I have to sit here till five thirty, six, seven, till I can get home and that's on a good day kind of vibe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's it. You feel it's, it's ass in a chair. You know, you've got like, it's like the old way of thinking about it is when you, when you hire someone, you're paying for their body to be in your office a certain number of hours. And the new way of looking at it is you're paying for results, right? So if I, if I hire someone to 
um, you know, like my, our most recent hire, Caleb Ward, brilliant guy. Uh, if you if you Google Caleb Ward, you'll see a bunch of After Effects tutorials. He probably ranks higher than School of Motion actually because he's so good at he's so good at that. Um, but you know, we hired him to help make content and to help us with our content marketing. And so, as long as he does that, and we're measuring growth, and it's happening at a pace that works for us, and you know, he's not taking advantage of of the the flexibility. I honestly don't care what his hours are. Um, you know, I mean, obviously, okay, we have a meeting once a week. So, of course, you're going to need to be around at that time. But then, you know, like this morning, we I, we had a quick meeting this morning. And he was like, hey, can we do the meeting a half hour early? Because I want to go work from this cool coffee shop today. I'm like, sweet. So, we did the meeting, done. And then he's off at a coffee shop. And, you know, he has lunch with his wife. I mean, it, that, that's kind of the culture that, that I want our company to have. And that's what I want everyone to have. I want everyone to realize it's so obvious to me now because I've been living this kind of lifestyle for a while that this is possible. But I talk to, you know, even like close friends and family members and I try to explain to them like, you know, like recently I was trying to get my brother uh, and his wife to come visit. They live in Los Angeles. They both have standard full-time jobs. And I was like, why don't you guys come like stay for four or five days? Well, we don't have the time off. And I, and I just, I, you know, I, I slapped my forehead. I'm like, you don't have the time off. It's like, dude, you're 30. Like, are you, like, are you still worried about vacation time? It just, it just makes me mad, to be honest, that it still works that way. So the Freelance Manifesto, honestly, the reason I, I wrote it and put it out there is so more people can have the freedom to set their own schedule, work the, the hours that work best for them, be around their family as much as they can, and make as much money as they want to make not, you know, not, not make as much as humanly possible, but like, you know, there's an example in the book, Kyle Predke, a good friend of mine, he doesn't need to make as much as, you know, a 46 year old who's trying to pay off his mortgage. He needs to make enough to pay his bills and then have enough left over to go snowboarding. That's what he loves to do. So if he makes enough to pay six months of his bills, he's done, right? Uh, you know, and that's going to be a lot less than what I need having three kids and a mortgage and stuff like that. So it's kind of like you, you get to scale it up and down and, and maybe some years you really want to make, you know, as much money as possible, but then some years you just want to do as much cool work as possible, which tends to pay you less. Um, so the book is, is really like the key to opening that kind of lifestyle up. And then to let you do that, it gives you very concrete tactics and email templates and, you know, I mean, you've read it. It's, it's really, really detailed. Yeah, it's it's um, a step by step guide, which is just once you've read it, it just makes complete sense. And it did to me. And as somebody who's looking for freelancers um, to come and work at our agency, because I work for an ad agency, I'm very much bum and seat. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I I truly, honestly, really love FCB New Zealand because they have trying to they've disrupted the model of what an agency is and been in New Zealand. For quite a for the last decade, I've been with them for like eleven years. We've been able to do things differently, and so that's um, great. Which um, which I really appreciate because um, there's so many benefits. But getting back to the freelance manifesto, manifesto, um, the way that you approach contacting someone um, and you lay these out in really clear steps of how to find these people, and there's even like um, tools on finding people's emails and things like this, and how to approach somebody and not get too creepy, but have a little bit of personality in there. Um, 
And as someone looking for that, I would just love for people to contact me this way. And and having read the book, I'll probably be able to spot it. And I'll say, <laughs> and I'll say, good on you for implementing this. Thank you so much for reaching out. Thanks for sharing me your winter show reel, um, so I know what you're up to and where your skills are at, and that we can like get you in. Thanks for keeping you top of mind in my mind so I know as somebody who needs um, people to come and freelance for us I, I just want people to grab this book and I, I read it in two days so it's, it's a really easy read um, and the skills that you teach is going to basically build relationships and that's, that's what this industry is all about really it's about people want to exactly. you, know, you, you might be the most talented person and you even go into this <laughs> of ranking yeah. what's really important <laughs> so, and, um, but you want somebody who's a good person to work with a good girl, a good guy who's going to jive with the team and not disrupt the, the energy yeah, I mean, I remember being, um, you know, when I was running Toil, and th- this is one of the secrets that that I w- I'm just going to put it out there. Every freelancer needs to know this, that every studio, every agency, every company has trouble finding talent. It is the hardest thing. Studios have shut down because of this, because it is not easy to find good talent. You might think that's crazy, because look at all the amazing work on Motionographer or on Twitter or on Dribble or wherever. As much work as you're seeing, there's a thousand times as much that you're not seeing. There's so much work out there, okay? So when I'm at Toil and we're in Boston, which is an ad agency town, ad agencies everywhere. And there, at the time, there were a few motion design studios and there were a bunch of editorial shops, post-production houses. Um, there were tons of clients that were... Um, you know, like Bose is a big audio company based out of Massachusetts and they hire freelancers all the time. Hasbro in Rhode Island, they have a huge video department. You would think there would just be hundreds of capable motion graphics artists that I could hire freelance and there were not. And it was like, it was honestly one of the hardest things for us to deal with because when you're running a studio, it's you know, it can be like freelancing, it's feast or famine, right? So all of a sudden there's four jobs that come in and you want to take them all because you know that right after those four jobs, there might be a month of nothing. And so when you have a staff like ours, which essentially was four people full-time working, like I was the lead animator and creative director. We had a brilliant art director and we had two junior animators, um, you know, you can't take on four jobs at the same time with that team. You have to have freelancers. And there were, there was one really good one and he was always booked, right? It was very hard to book him. There were two or three like, okay ones. They were always booked. It was very hard to book them. There were four or five that was like last resorts. They were always booked. It was very hard to book them. Okay. Um, so it's, <laughs> the struggle is real, man, you know? And, yeah. and I, and whenever I would get a reel from somebody, I would always watch it and I would always have my fingers crossed. Please, <laughs> please be good. Please be someone we can work with because you need it. I mean, yeah. it, it's shocking. Yeah. I have recently hired a couple of full-time um, staff members and I know that feeling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it, it, it has been difficult. Um, I really felt that about four years ago. So I sort of try and approach things differently and FCB were really supportive of me doing this. I set up a, um, a Facebook group for um, in, in partnership with Adobe for Pro Video 
um, and this is the Pro Video Podcast, because I think the agency needs um, goes across not only motion design, but editing, color grading, the whole gamut. And um, basically just reached out to everybody I knew in the industry to join the group and then to spread it. And so we've built up, um, in the first year, I think we reached 500 members in Auckland, New Zealand, which isn't a huge town. And I just basically threw industry parties and get everybody together, the producers, the designers, the editors, to get together, communicate, but just so I knew who was out there. Because that was the right. hardest thing. You don't know who's out there. And it's a friend of a friend of a friend who's going to be the guy that is actually available, not your friend or, or your your usual freelancer because he is good and he's always booked. And yep. definitely feel that. And I think that that's what I found really hard with the schools is the schools kind of educate people and then they're free. And the tracking of where they're at and what they're doing is is so hard. So I'm trying to get into the schools and say, come and connect with the industry before you get out there. Ask us questions, which they don't do. Um, and that's what I think I love about the school in motion model is that you're connecting everyone right from the start and, and they're, they're asking questions. They're critiquing each other. They're not afraid of um, saying the wrong thing. And so that is just part of our job. And so when they go through their careers, that alumni of a couple of thousands is going to be alumni of many thousands in a few years. And they're also going to be grown-ups who've gone through a metamorphosis of what they're doing. And I can just see the strength of the school and the alumni being a powerful force in the future. Well, thank you for saying that. I'll say that the problem you mentioned, you know, when you when you are looking for a freelancer, you have to juggle there's so many factors. Is their work like are they good enough, right? Yeah. Just at a plain level, are they good enough for what we need? Do they have the right skill set? Because you may have a brilliant After Effects artist, but what you really need is someone who can do some 3D modeling, right? Um, are they reliable, right? Is do I trust that if I book this person? And we've budgeted a week for this. They will be done in a week. Um, and then the big one, are they available? And that last one, that's a problem a lot of companies are trying to solve and have tried to. There was, um, there was a site, I think it's called Working Not Working, that would, you know, was like an attempt at solving that. Um, I know that uh, Justin from Oceanographer, he's been spending a lot of time thinking about this, and he's he's got an idea for sort of a motion design Rolodex, and I think he's going to try and code some kind of MVP for that. We've been thinking about it. You know, we've got a lot of alumni, and we've got we've had a lot of companies actually start approaching us and saying, hey, we're looking for motion designers. And so we're starting to form relationships, um, you know, with studios like, you know, The Mill and, and Oddfellows and places like that, um, as well as what's crazy is when if when you get when you're new to the industry, you look on motionographer and you see Oddfellows and you see Buck and you see, you know, uh, Royale. And you don't realize that for every one of those companies, there's probably a hundred that are not at the motionographer level. And for every one of those, there's another hundred, you know, like agencies that you've never heard of in every yeah. city in the world. Um, and all of them <laughs> need motion designers. Um, it, it's, it's a real problem. So we're trying to figure out how we can help do that too. But in the meantime, I think it's just everyone, you know, in this industry, if you're a freelancer, it's on you. You, you have to be proactive and you need to be doing 
outbound it's you know outbound sales is like the technical word for it like you can't rely on your reel to bring people in who are like googling motion designer you know auckland or whatever you you need you need to be on LinkedIn, you need to be, um, you know, doing targeted searches in your geographical area and you need to be doing research on these clients and what they do and who they are and how can I contact them because they are going to be so happy to get your email. Totally. And in the um, manifesto, you go through those steps and the tools and how to approach that and being the one out of 20 people who will do that yeah so you give um and through this book you are giving um real practical ways of um connecting with people needing talent and we are we're definitely that shop we're an agency in new zealand we're quite well known but for someone coming out of school they have no idea about any of the agencies um i think it's it's always been a bit of a difficult one in what we need because we need multitude of skill sets um it's more but the expectations of what you're delivering is really high and sometimes at those smaller places where the money might not be as great those creative opportunities become more which you go into the books of um pain and rainbows different ends of the scale about what creatively the work that you're doing which helps build your career onto where you can go next and the different places. So um, I really liked how in the manifesto you're describing not just the typical places but looking at companies that are really big who in some way you show how to find if they're going to need a motion designer or or a freelancer and how – those opportunities can be really gold mines of potential. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, in my freelance career, sort of later on in my freelance career, when I had sort of got the hang of a lot of this stuff and, and, um, I'll, I'll really quickly, I'll do the short version of the pain and rainbows graph you mentioned. Essentially one of the ideas in the book is that you can't say this across the board, but typically the amount of money that a project has it correlates negatively with how cool it's going to be. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> if, 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 uh, you know, as a freelancer, if you can make a killing on a job, it's probably not going to be the best thing on your reel. Um, however, if there's no money for this job and you're doing it as a favor or even better, there's no client and no money, or you're putting up your own money and you're making your own thing, then it's going to be really cool. All right. And, and most freelancers and most motion designers, frankly, end up right in the middle in no man's land where there's some money, not enough where you can like do that job and take a month off. Right. But there's enough. You pay your bills and it's not totally soul sucking. It's not like, oh, this sucks. It's just cool enough to keep you there. Right. And so you're stuck and you're not making any progress. So what I talk about in the book is you need to try to split your jobs and do the money jobs, the ones that suck, but pay you a lot and then do the ones that don't pay you. So basically you're just doing work for two different reasons. Sometimes you're doing it for money, just flat out, just, just accept that. And then sometimes you're doing it to learn, to make something cool. And what's interesting is when you do that, when you make those cool spec things, that's when better clients start to come along and pay you to do cooler stuff, okay? I, I think in the book, three or four or five times, I, I write out, 
you have to do the work you want to get paid for before you get paid to do it. Yeah. Right? That's kind of the catch-22. And that splitting the graph, that's the way to do it. Um, so, for example, when I was getting ready to basically make a run at School of Motion, what I was doing was I, I had a couple of really big ad agency clients, like really big publicly traded ad agencies. And they, you know, they did the, the gamut of work. They would do really cool award-winning stuff. And then they would do really awful internal videos for like, you know, Bank of America's yearly corporate retreat or something, right? And I went after that stuff. I was like, give me all of that. Let me do the video where it's a new app explaining how to look at your investments on your Merrill Lynch account, like all that kind of stuff. That's what I was doing. And it wasn't sexy. It was painful because that that type of work tends to be very technical and you're, you have to mock up UIs and everything has to be exactly right and the lawyers are looking at it and there's 10 lines of legal on every page and it's three minutes long and it's fully animated and it's not, it's very boring. But the budgets are amazing, right? So you could, So I would do those and then I'd be like, okay, my bills are paid for three months. And so then I could go to the other end of the graph, which for me was school motion and I could do a tutorial or I could work on the website some more or I could, you know, one of the things I did um, right after 30 days of After Effects was I, I took a business coaching class because I didn't know really anything about business or I thought I didn't, um, you know, and, th- and so that, that pain and rainbows idea, you know, pain at one end, rainbows at the other. It doesn't just have to apply to your work that you're doing as a motion designer. It can also apply to your life. So you can choose to try and have a healthy balance of cool work and crummy work. Um, or you can just say, I don't care what work I do as long as I get paid for it. Because that is literally, to me, how I pay my bills and nothing more. It's kind of a it, – it's when, – when you hear motion designers talk – especially on podcasts like this, a lot of times there's a lot of it. You, you can put motion design up on a pedestal because it's, it's an art form and it's kind of, it feels scummy to say like, it's just how I pay my bills. You know, like it's just, it's just a skill I have. It makes me money. But the truth is when you're in your forties and you have kids really like, maybe all you want to do is like, you know, maybe you're like into running and you want to become a better runner or you get into CrossFit or you get really into tennis and you and you want to spend a lot of time with your family and you like to travel and you get into wine. And that's the stuff you care about. That's the stuff that you're, you know, so you do the jobs that pay that aren't cool at all. But now you get to do all this other stuff. And earlier in your career, you can do spec work and do you know personal projects to increase your stock. That's when you're a freelancer and you're making those decisions for yourself based on what you're doing. Yeah. Um, there's a bit in the book early on where you say, if you think your boss or your client is going to suddenly start asking you to do the super, super sexy work you're craving instead of the work they need done, you'll be waiting forever. And I think that you have to recognize that the companies that you're working for, they're on the same scale. It's really hard to get paid for those super creative projects as well. And they're usually invested for free yeah. by an agency or, you know, so that, you know, the safe area is in the middle and you try yeah. and get as many of the pain jobs 
as a business because you want the paying jobs coming in. <laughs> yeah. But in advertising, it's a really interesting one because um, there are rainbows, but it's about the rainbows that show off the creativity of the agency to attract more clients and keep building upon it. But that's not ever going to be your call. You're always going to be working on what they need you to work on. So it's a really yeah. interesting one that you raised in the book that made me think about that a lot in my own personal career. And I think that's a really healthy thing to do as well is to reflect upon where you're at. So I feel really lucky with the company that I am because um, they sort of uh, see where my rainbows lie and see if they can help me on that journey, which isn't the case from a lot of people. But yeah, just reflecting and seeing whether the freelance lifestyle is going to be for you is what I got from the manifesto over everything else. Yeah, and I think you brought up a good point. I, I think even in the book, I, I mentioned this. I am so pro freelance. Like, I think you know, I, I think I say in the book, everyone should try it, um, just because it's eye opening. Um, however, the best companies, and it sounds like your company is one of these. The best companies realize that the you know the ground is shifting, and so they don't expect the same micromanaging, and, and, you know, and and um you know, shackles on their employees the, the, the way some kind of legacy companies do. Yeah. And so there, there, are, there are companies out there, plenty of them, um, where, you know, the work is cool, the environment's cool, the, you know, the, the conditions, the amount of time off you get and all that stuff is great. And, you know, I can say that, that there, are, there are pros and cons to freelancing, now, for me, the pros outweighed the cons 10 million to one. But for some people, it may, you know, they may not. And that's totally okay. Even if you really don't think you would like to freelance, if the idea is just disgusting, I don't ever want to freelance. I, I would still suggest reading the book simply because, okay, so I read this book w right before I started School of Motion. It was called The 4-Hour Workweek. And it was written by Tim Ferriss. And, you know, it's kind of kind of scammy sounding name. Um, but the idea, the, the central idea in the book is pretty powerful. And it is most people when you're, you know, when you're a kid, your parents kind of put you on this treadmill and they point you in the right direction. They let go. And the treadmill carries you through life. And after being on that treadmill for 15, 20 years, it's very easy to think that that's the way life works. And there are so many examples of people out there living crazy lives. You know, uh, a good buddy of mine just, you know, he, he was living in a big house in Texas and he got hired by um, a very cool tech company, a really big one actually, but one of these forward thinking ones. When they said, we don't care where you live, we don't really care what your hours are. And as long as your work's getting done, we're cool with that. So he moved his family to Puerto Rico because in Puerto Rico, you pay, I think, like 4% income tax as opposed to, you know, probably 25% what he's been, right? And it's like, okay, like that, that would never have occurred to me before reading a book like The 4-Hour Workweek and realizing that, no, you don't have to live where you grew up. No, you don't have to work 9 to 5. No, you don't need to, you know save a little bit of money each year and plan on retiring when you're 65 and that's when you finally get to have fun. All of that's made up. These rules are all make-believe. And so I try to, you know, that's the Trojan horse idea in the freelance manifesto is that this idea of showing up and getting your paycheck and having your health insurance paid for and deducted automatically the way it is in the U.S., 
Um, it's all an illusion, <laughs> and you can choose to subscribe to it or not yeah. and work however you want to. And there's a lot of examples of people doing that now. Yeah, just don't be blind to options and reality of situations. I think um, it's such an easy way to educate yourself, um, not only for motion designers. If you're an editor, I think anybody in a creative field, the manifesto just will work for you. Um, I think that you've used motion design, and you even say I'm using this as an example, but it will work for creative industries because that's what you're talking about. Yep. I I, I want to put what you've um, got in the manifesto into practice myself, not because I'm looking for a job, if my manager's listening, but, right. <laughs> <laughs> but because um, those skills just um, give you confidence so the, the, that you know that you can go out and you can reach and you can cold call and make a relationship. I'm probably going to use the podcast for this. So I'm going to reach out to I was to going people. to suggest that, yeah. Yeah. And so that I can put these things into practice. Maybe you have a, something else that you want to do. Maybe it's about just um, getting people together for a, for a personal project and you're going to approach a company that um, you can do a rainbow project. But put those skills into practice and... Um, just to have the confidence that if um, stuff does go south for whatever reason in the business that you're in, you're not going, what the heck am I going to do? Yeah, the, the hard skills in the book that I teach about learning how to find people, how to get good contact information for them, and then how to make first contact in a way where you're not asking for anything and you're just sort of trying to provide a little moment of, of a little smile in the middle of their day, basically – that works for a lot of things. You mentioned podcasting. That's exactly how we book podcast guests. Um, you know, I mean, luckily we're getting to the point where people have heard of us. So, so it's a little easier, but in the beginning, um, no one had heard of school of motion and I was trying to get people to let me interview them who were really busy, really well-known people I admired. And so this is how I would reach out to them. There's a, there's a story about it in the book about trying to reach out to this amazing, um, he works at Buck now. His name's Lucas Brooking. Um, he's actually a New Zealander. Uh, <laughs> yeah, a lot he lives of good in New Sy Zealanders he, out yeah, there. Yeah, I was going to say, there's something in the water there. He lives in Sydney now uh, and he works for Buck. But, you know, he was into, um, I, I learned by kind of Google stalking him, getting on his website, I learned he was into heavy metal. And, and so am I, right? So what a lucky coincidence. And so my, the subject line of the email I sent to him was pig squeals and gutturals, which is like this very harsh style of vocals that, that some bands have. Um, and, you know, and it's like, that's just, a, that's just a little trick, right? You just put something in that subject line that you, it's a trigger word. You know, oh, this person, because I saw on their LinkedIn page, um, they had, you know, um, it was a picture of them at the finish line of a marathon they just ran. I know a lot about them. I know they're into fitness. I know that they're into goal setting. They just ran a marathon. So if you if your subject line was freelance animator slash runner available, you know, just little tricks like that. And, and, and then, of course, how to track if your email was open, things like that. These are skills that anybody on staff, anybody who wants to, I mean, make contact with anybody. I mean, I use this stuff if I'm, you know, if I'm trying to reach out to, um, I don't know, get someone to promote a piece of content, or if I'm reaching out to someone that I think might want to teach a class for us, this is just networking. It's just how to make connections with people using the modern way that we communicate. Yeah. Um, networking but in a methodical way that you're um, 
not over overdoing it as well. And I think that the templates that you provide of tracking where you're at are really valuable. And this is knowledge that you've gained over such a um, period of time that literally reading this manifesto will just shortcut you, you know, so many years with a couple of days reading. So I really, really think that every listener should get this book on Kindle or from Amazon um, as a book form and have a good read of it because there's so many valuable gems that in your own professional day-to-day life you're going to use. Yeah, and you can go to, uh, we, we got a little short URL for the book. It's freelance.how. It'll take you to the uh, to the landing page for the book. And there's a lot of testimonials on there because this book, um, you know, a few years ago I gave, um, I did a live webinar for a bunch of School Motion students and it was all about freelancing. And, and I taught a lot of the things that are in the book. And uh, at, at the time I thought, you know, th- these are all things I do that work. And I just hope that there's like some new information in there that like no one's heard of this stuff. Um, and so I did the webinar and a month later I got my first email and I've gotten, you know, hundreds since then, but it was something like, uh, Hey, we just started using your, you know, your process of getting leads and we did 20 K last month. Like he, like this was a guy who he freelanced with one other person and they did $20,000 in a month a month after like starting to do these tricks, it happens really, really fast. Um, and, and I'll say this too, because this is kind of a funny thing that just happened. The book has actually sold really well. There's a, there's a lot of people out there with this information now. Um, and one of my friends who runs a small studio in New York got an email that was copy pasted out of the book. (laughs) So let me make a suggestion. Tweak Tweak the email. There, there are email templates in the book because I know some, sometimes it's easier to just have an exact set of words. These words work. However, I suspect that over the next few years, a lot of people are going to be using these templates. So tweak it so it sounds like you. You don't have to literally copy and paste. People always appreciate hearing a little bit of your personality in there. Yeah, it's like a good tutorial. Uh, that's a foundation that will teach you some tricks. Yes. But make it your own. Bring something to it. That's a good analogy, yeah. (laughs) Because when we see it on the rail, we know where it's come from. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, and this is another thing that we're finding now, too, is students come out of our courses and they have a lot of work, and we encourage them to put it on the reel. Um, But now there's a lot of reels out there with School of Motion stuff on there. And so now we're we're starting to instruct students like, okay, you're going to have to tell people that this was for a class because, you know, they're going to see the same thing on five other reels probably. I, um, uh, FX PhD was, um, a course that I did and it was the first internet Amazing. course. Amazing. I love uh, them. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, love doing that training. Um, and it was interesting because they were talking about ILM, basically the recruiters there going, we know the work, we know that it's training that's coming from you, but what we're looking at is what people are doing with it. How are they making it different? Where's their flavor? Because they could see that. Yeah, technically they can do the job, and this is for visual effects compositing, but right. it's then what What do, are they bringing to it? And I think with any tutorials or training, school of motion or wherever, um, I'm almost interested to, and definitely say that it's training because that just shows that you're honest about what it is, but then seeing what you're bringing to the work really says something about your approach, your aesthetic, your design, your thinking. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, what what I've heard over and over again from producers and studio owners and people who look at reels all day is that what what they really like to see is your personal work because they really need to know you know, how your brain operates yeah. and, you know, no, no job that you do, like no two jobs are alike. And so when you can follow a tutorial from start to finish and get a good result, that's great. But real jobs don't work that way. Yeah. You're going to get, you know, you're going to have, um, a kernel of an idea. And if you're lucky, you're going to have some boards that a designer did to kind of show you, these are the major beats of this piece. But you got to figure everything else out for yourself. And so you you can't – it's actually dangerous to just do tutorials and, like, put the result of those tutorials on a reel because, God forbid, somebody hires you and expects you to think for yourself. <laughs> you might, you know, you might find out pretty quickly that you didn't, you didn't, uh, you didn't get the right training. So, yeah. So, I mean, when we teach things like how to animate, how to design – um, we do try to set up our classes so that there is some work the students can take with them and, and show off. And, you know, and as long as you kind of explain, yeah, look, this this was an assignment for a class, but look how well I, I did it. But really, that's not going to be enough to get you booked at really good places. You're going to need to make your own work um, yeah. and, and make things that use the skills you learned but then translate them into some other way because that's what motion designers do. You learn how to do something and then you do something that's 10% different and then something else that's 30% different and, and that's how you build your, your skills. No, totally valid point. And um, I personally saw that there was a large gap for people um, doing their personal projects with um, the community in Auckland. So the group that we set up, we, each year we run a collaborative project so we give everybody the opportunity to create six seconds of animation and we bring those all together. So um, the first year, the theme, and, and giving people a brief, a, a, a loose box, but it's really hard to just do something without a brief. So um, it was um, basically, um, it had to be a round object moving through screen and we said which side of screen it comes in and which side it comes out and then we could link them together however we wanted and it became one piece and last year the brief was different uh, we had a, um, a time beat that um, everybody had to work to for the six seconds and the transition was it had to basically have a matte transition between um, your frame and the next one so that we could just put them together and bringing the community together you know we had Rich Nosworthy part of that project great um, dude he's an amazing guy and yeah. I know that um, you mentioned him in the book a few times as well and yep. he's he's a good friend I'm going to catch up with lunch with him and Ben hopefully on Friday excellent so, <laughs> but um, and we had students from school so what it, it wasn't really about you know, and the level of quality varied strongly. You know, it's it's really hard for everybody to be at the level riches. But when you join these together, <laughs> um, it becomes a bigger project um, and you become part of something. So, and, and more and more of these collaborative projects are happening. And I, th- and I think start your own. Um, ask friends to come in together. Design a brief for each other. Then go off and do it and bring it back together because it's it is quite nice seeing something which is um bigger than yourself and collaborating with others as well so there's so many different ways to build up those rainbow projects for yourself yeah so um nick from grayscale gorilla he used to do this thing on their site called five second projects right and and he you know 
they, they did them for a while, um, yeah, and then they fun. stopped and they stopped and haven't done it for a while. Uh, but I thought they were brilliant because five seconds of good animation you can do in like a day. You know, you can do it in a few hours depending on what the design is. Versus a thirty-second thing, which could take you know, depending, it could be a week, two weeks, you know, more. So when I started teaching at Ringling, I stole that idea, and I and I you know, um, every day I would like the end of class, I'd assign a five-second project, and it's so great because you're right, you, you have to have some sort of brief. A blank page is the scariest thing in the universe, <laughs> so there would be some brief. Okay, so the theme is explosion or you know the theme is purple whatever it is um and so i i I tell students five second projects are a really really good way to build your reel up if you're starting from scratch because all you need are six of those (laughs) and now you have 30 seconds for your reel and i love the idea you know what you're talking about is kind of like the exquisite corpse thing where one person starts it and then it keeps going and we've done that with our alumni a few times um, we actually had a, a contest once where Giant Ant started an exquisite corpse and our students finished it. And then it went back to Giant Ant at the end. It was really fun. Um, and that kind of stuff is great too. But it, there's just so many ways to just have fun and make stuff. And then that's the stuff that's going to go on your reel and get you booked way more than, you know, the commercial that paid you the, the local pizza place, right? Yeah. Um, it, but you need to make sure that, that you have the time and the energy to do those. Because, yeah. you know, um, and, and that's kind of that, that's kind of the main reason that, that I talk about freelancing so much is because it's easier to do it when you're freelancing than when you're on staff. Totally. I can really appreciate that because you're making the decisions about what you're doing. And so for a couple of weeks, you made the call that you're going to go and sit, put your bum in a seat for 10 hours a day. Yeah. And, and get a rate so that for, for that next week, you can just... Um, learn, create something to add to your reel, and yeah, it, the manifesto really got me thinking. So I think I'm going to read it again because I wanted to power read it so that I was prepared for this interview. Yeah, but yeah, um, I think it's one of those um, books that I'll just keep reflecting back on a few times. It's, it's and and that's where at different stages of your career, different parts of that book are going to be more valuable than others, which I really liked as well. Yeah, I hope so. I know that, um, you know, we've had uh, a lot of students in who are still like in college reading it. Um, and the feedback we get from them is that I didn't even know this was possible. So that and that was that I love hearing that because that that was my goal. But then on the other end, you've got, you know, really experienced freelancers who are already doing pretty well. And what they're picking up is how to scale their lead generation or how to scale themselves and start building a little bit more. You know, you you can be a freelancer, but be booking other freelancers and kind of scaling the amount of income you can make and stuff like that. And so they're they're taking that stuff and running with it. So I, I did, you know, I tried to make it the only guide to freelancing you'll ever need. And, you know, my, my niche in, in my community is motion design. So that's why it's called a field guide for the modern motion designer. You mentioned it, it works. These tactics, you could just replace every time I say motion designer, replace that with editor, replace that with graphic designer, replace that with logo designer, any creative field, this stuff is going to work. Um, when I was freelancing, I billed myself as an editor animator because I actually started my career as an editor and I, and I love editing. So I, I kind of carried that through and it's the exact same 
tactics. The foreword of the book is written by my friend Jake Benjamin, who is an editor and uses these tricks, you know, in his editing freelance career. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's kind of an all in one freelancing manual, but you know, school of motion. So I, <laughs> I wanted to use motion design as the as the case study. <laughs> Sweet. Um, thank you so much, Joey. Um, so much awesome, valuable information, not only in the manifesto, but at School of Motion. And I think, have a look at the School of Motion, but really have a look at um, 30 Days of After Effects as a bit of a, a lead-in. I have had my staff do um, School of Motion boot camps, and I'm looking to get my new guys up and running and take these courses myself too, because I think the thing is that... Um, for myself, who's been animating and been a motion designer editor for like uh, 18 years, there's so much you uh, you don't know everybody else's approach and there's always something that you can gain from it. And um, I think a little bit of a, a wake-up call for somebody who's maybe feeling a little bit like they've been in the industry for a while, a little bit of a shake-up is always a good thing. Keep yourself Agreed. on your toes. And now it's time for the Pro Video Packs. Sweet. So it, um, we come to this part of the podcast where we do our pro video picks. Sure. So the first one is, what is your pro video pick of the week, Joey? So this is the uh, the tool that you'd like yeah. to recommend or something? Okay. So I picked a weird one. Um, well, okay. I used to think it was weird, but now I'm kind of all in. So it's a website called Headspace, and it's an app that you can download for your phone. And it's a meditation app. So... One of the, uh, you know, I I talked earlier in this interview about like sort of getting to the top of the mountain, running a studio and basically having a breakdown and realizing I'm not happy with my life. And, you know, I've learned about myself that it's very easy for me to get caught up in something and obsess over it. And you have this voice in your head just saying over and over again, oh, you should be doing this, should be doing this, should be doing this. And so I asked a lot of people, like, you know, I, I hired business coach and I, and I have uh, groups that I talk to like every other week. And how can I make myself calmer and more level-headed, especially now with school motion growing, it's very, it's, it can be stressful. And over and over again, I heard meditate. You need to learn to meditate. And I thought it was silly. And I was like, I'm never going to meditate. Like, that's just not me. But I tried it. And I got to say, it's made a pretty big difference in my life. Um, you know, Headspace is kind of the easiest way to get into it. It's an app with these kind of audio guided meditations. They're 10 minutes each. And, you know, you can do the first 10 for free, I think. And you'll pretty quickly notice a difference in the way your brain works. Uh, I think, you know, with the way modern society is, where we're looking at screens all day, we're bombarded with communications and beeps and notifications all day long. Your brain is not used to being quiet. And when you're, when you're, when your mind is quiet, that's when you can calm yourself and you can actually think really clearly and Headspace has helped me do that. So I thought I'd give them a plug. (laughs) I'm always looking for ways to be a bit calmer in the storm. So I'm going to give that Uh, a go and and commit to a month of doing that. Because I think you have to sort of put these things into real practice and not. I'm sort of proud of you, Blair. That's great. All right, cool. I'll, I'll commit too. I'll do I, because I kind of been on and off the wagon lately. I haven't done 30 days in a row in a while. I'm going to do 30 days in a row also. 
I, I think with um, new staff members and the the flurry of um, confusions that can pop up, I might really need it this month. So, yeah, <laughs> there, there's a there's a say, there's a saying about meditation that if you don't have ten minutes to meditate, then you actually need an hour to meditate. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's that's a good point. Yeah. Um, so, who do you follow online? So there's a lot of people, but I I would like to mention Tim Ferriss. I I mentioned him already. <laughs> uh, so when I was a kid, I was obsessed with Arnold Schwarzenegger, and like I had a poster of him. I was like into bodybuilding, and I had a poster of him up in my bedroom and everything. If I still had posters of grown men in my bedroom, it would be <laughs> Tim Ferriss. Tim Ferriss, more than any other author or idea person has rewired my brain with his books and he's got this amazing podcast so if you go to tim.blog t-i-m.blog um you'll find information about all his stuff he's got four books out they're all great he's got uh i think the number one podcast on itunes he's had a tv show He's just a brilliant guy and he's really, you know, he's made it his mission to question everything and try to find the most efficient way to get what you want out of life. And it's helped, it's helped me and my family immensely. So I've never met him. I've never spoken to him, but thank you, Tim Ferriss. (laughs) I've um, followed a lot of entrepreneurs in um, the creative arts industries and his book has been a huge impact on a lot of those people because mm-hmm. they're looking to shake up the modern work um, week and make it work for themselves in a different way. So everybody that I respect who's doing something in a new way using the new world we live in references um, Tim Ferriss. And you reference him a lot in, in the manifesto as well. Yeah. So um, I, I'm going to start listening to that podcast and I might have to prune one of the others maybe um for a little bit <laughs> there's so many good <laughs> <know>. podcasts out there <laughs> only so many hours yeah i'm always really in uh, school of motion have an amazing podcast as well that i'm addicted to oh thank you yeah it's it's diff- you, you kind of have ones that when they pop up you just like jump over all the other ones that are in the queue and go straight for it and yours is definitely <laughs> one of them um so we, we'd like to share videos that are inspirational. Um, do you have a video that has inspired you that you'd like to share? Definitely. So there's a video which it, it's, a, it's a short film someone made based on this quote from Ira Glass. So Ira Glass is the host of This American Life on NPR, a really legendary storyteller, broadcaster. And... Um, I, I, I'm, I don't know the exact context of where this quote came from. I think somebody asked him about, you know, how did you get so good at storytelling and doing radio? And he said, well, you know, the thing you don't realize, um, you know, and I wish someone had told me at the beginning of my career is that at the beginning there's this gap. And the gap is you get into something, let's say motion design, for example, you get into motion design because you like it and you've got good taste. Inherently, you know when things are good and when they're bad. But the gap is the distance between your taste and your technical ability. And that is the most frustrating thing about anything you learn in life, learning to play an instrument. It's the exact same thing, right? I play drums. I played for 20 years and I'll hear some awesome drummer and I love it. And I know how they play it. 
on a logical level, I just can't do it because I haven't practiced enough. And it's so frustrating and it's and it's 10 times worse with motion design because, you know, you're looking at it and you're like, well, I never even would have thought of that, right? Um, and so that video, it does a great job of kind of bringing that quote to life. And I think, you know, most of the courses at School of Motion, we make everyone watch that video at the beginning of it because, you know, when you start a class and you watch the teacher do something and the teacher has done that thing a hundred times and it looks so easy and then you try it and it's way harder than it looks, you need to be ready for that and you need to know that you're going to feel that way and know that it's normal to feel that way so that you can push through it. And it's kind of pushing through the gap. Awesome. Awesome. Um, as you're speaking, I was thinking about how it is really hard when you have been doing something for a long time that you kind of have an, a, a taste. Um, you kind of are drawn to what you know feels right only because you've done what's wrong so many other times. Right. <laughs> and, and people don't get to see that process because that takes years. So yeah, kind well, of it's funny. That. I mean, at the at the very beginning of this interview, Blair, you, you, I think you said something like you burst onto the scene with Thirty Days of After Effects, and and you know the truth is like. I could go back and show you my reel from 2003 and you'd laugh at it. You know, I mean, like no, nobody that you see online doing great work, just, you know, kind of like graduated high school, opened after effects and started making good work. Everybody worked their butt off to get there. And that's what, that's what the gap is about. You know, you, you, we talk to people who are successful. There's like survivorship bias, right? <laughs> and and even you know you, you go you go listen to like an Animalators episode with like you know Jorge uh, Estrada, who you know he was a giant ant. He's like one of the best After Effects animators out there. Very talented, very gifted, but works so hard, you know. Um, and you know the the stuff that's not on his website, like from before he was Jr. Canest. Um, you know, that's, that was the price he had to pay to get as good as he is. Yeah. Yeah. Animalators, another great podcast. And, um, the last episode was one of my favorites. It uh, has Joey Cronman on it. I <laughs> <laughs> guess it talks a lot, doesn't he? <laughs> I, I, I didn't want to, I tried to not, um, cover the same topics and you, you on the episode really go into, um, where you're at with yourself and what the lifestyle that you wanted into quite a lot of detail, which I really enjoyed. So I, th- I hope that, I think that these two episodes will actually be quite supportive if you're listening to both of them to, um, and especially cause I wanted to get into the manifesto on this episode because I really do think it's so valuable for so many people. So thank you so much, Joey, for coming on today and for talking with me and sharing what you're doing and what you're putting out there in the world with your um, amazing team at the School of Motion. Um, And yeah, thank you so much for coming on today, mate. Hey, thanks for having me, Blair. This was amazing. Awesome. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, I'd like to say a special thanks to World Podcast for um, helping produce this. A uh, big shout out to Selena Spain, who does the editing. Thank you so much, Selena. Um, thank you to Paul Spain, uh, who runs World Podcast. And I recommend checking out all the other great shows on the network. If you're into food, um, The Fearless Kitchen is a great podcast to follow. A podcast that I love listening to each week 
is the Social Media Strategy Podcast. Social media, it's, it's a real big tool. It can be used for fun, but it can be really powerful in business. So check out and big shout out to Pauline. Um, love that show. And thank you again, Joey, from, for being on the show. And uh, all the show notes, all the links can be found at worldpodcast.com. Check us out on Facebook too at the Pro Video Podcast and on Twitter, the Pro Video Podcast. We're across the social media with the Pro Video Podcast. Thanks everybody for listening. Catch you next week. Bye.